You are now listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week we continue our journey through John's Gospel as we move into John chapter 16 where we talk about the Holy Spirit and His role in our lives. Let's listen in. Amen. Well, today we come to the Holy Spirit. And preaching on the Holy Spirit is kind of like um, defining the wind or explaining the wind. Where does it come from? Where does it go? Can you control the wind? Can you control the effects of the wind? I mean, we do what we can. Those folks in Louisiana are doing that. But the Holy Spirit is more than we can understand. But when you think about it, so is God. So is Jesus. So God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who can explain about them? And I feel so inadequate to preach. But... He's given us His Word, and He blesses the reading of it and the preaching of it. So I pray that for this sermon this morning. The ministry of God's Holy Spirit. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, that intimate time of teaching that Jesus had with His disciples. After the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, uh, as they were finishing up that meal, and even perhaps as they were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. And during that time of teaching, he assured them about who he is. He told them about his death. He predicted their own desertion. And he reminded them after he was gone to continue in belief and obedience. And he encouraged them to remain in him. And he gave a wonderful example for them to keep in mind that of a grapevine. They were the branches, he is the stem. And they were to remain in Him and produce fruit. And He commanded them to love each other and then beyond that to love others as He had loved them. And He warned them that the world would hate them for living this kind of life. They were to live Christ-like lives, but the world would hate them for it because of His name. And so they were given uh, these images to live the life of Christ and to be ready to endure persecution for doing it or even for trying to do it. So how could anyone possibly meet that challenge? Jesus set the standard and said, follow me, live like me. How could anyone do that? Well, Jesus tells us in today's passage. Now, Jesus would continue to teach them. His teaching would not come to an end even though he was not going to be with them. He would continue to teach them, but in a better way. So he'd given them clear instructions on what the Christian life looked like. He modeled it for them. And he tells them how to live that kind of life, and that is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And while Jesus walked in flesh in in this world, he could only be with the disciples at one place at one time. But now, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, He could be in all believers simultaneously. And so what He was sending, who He was sending, would be better than Him walking in the flesh. And so it's through the Holy Spirit that His presence continues in this world even today. His presence in this world in those who follow Jesus. 
So I want to look at the passage and then I want to point out two areas of ministry that Jesus implied for the Holy Spirit. So the past passage begins, Jesus, after he has said all of this to the disciples, he said, all of this I have told you so that you will not fall away. In other words, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Jesus is telling them the bad news with the good news. He's not holding anything back from them. I don't know about you, but I like to know all the details I possibly can about any circumstance because that just helps me to be better prepared to meet the situation if we know in advance. And that's what Jesus is doing here. I've told you all this so that you will not fall away. You'll be prepared. And then he goes on in verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Notice here that the opposition to Jesus came from those who claimed to be religious. They would throw you out of the synagogue, so it was the people in the synagogue who would throw them out. And those are the ones who claimed to be religious. Now there's no better example of this than Saul before he came to be the Apostle Paul. He measured his zeal for God by how many Christians he could expose and have executed. And he considered himself doing God a service, but he didn't even know God. And he didn't know it. He was serving his religion. And he was serving his ideals. Not God's. But he thought he was doing God a service. You know, some churches, and you can probably think of some, they think they are doing a, a God of service by judging other people. And as I was studying this, I pulled my phone out of my pocket and I googled church in Texas known for their hate. And immediately the church that has been in the news so much lately, last few years, came up. And I thought, how sad that is. And here's a church that Siri knows that is known for its hate. That's not what Jesus told us to be known for, is it? We are to be known for love, not hate. By the way, remember that loving people unconditionally does not mean that you agree with their views on things. But as Jesus modeled unconditional love, we are to do the same thing. Well, it goes on in verse 4. I have told you this so that when their time comes, that is those who are going to throw them out, when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Now think about it. While Jesus was physically present with the disciples, he took the brunt of all of the criticism and all the hatred. He was the point man. And so he took the brunt of all of that, because the lead person is the one who ultimately has to deal with whatever trouble comes up. When we were growing up, we would always go to the woods on Saturday. All the cousins, but the eldest cousin would always go front, go in the front. He'd have the machete, and he would have to deal with all the critters and the things that would come up, because he was the one 
in the lead. Now you know this to be true in your business. You know this to be true in your family. The leader is responsible. And that's one of the major differences in being a staff member and being a pastor. There's no one to hide behind in the lead position. And if you're in a lead position, you can't hide. But what happens when the leader leaves? Like it's happening here. The followers continue what the leader taught and what the leader modeled. And along with that comes with what he taught is, in this case, opposition and hatred. Within just a few hours, Jesus would be gone. He'd be gone from this world. And the disciples would have to carry on. But they wouldn't carry on without him. They would carry on with him in them. And they didn't understand this until later. But he would be in them. Now look at verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me where are you going. Rather you are filled with grief. Because I have said these things. Well, the disciples were full of grief, not only because they were losing a friend, they thought, in Jesus, but also because of all that he had just told them about what was going to happen to them. So they were full of grief over what they thought they had lost, Jesus, but also they thought they had lost their dream of the kingdom. They thought the kingdom of God was being ushered in, and they were losing that, but they weren't losing anything. They were gaining more than they could ever have imagined. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 7, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, Jesus would continue to walk with the disciples, but instead of walking with them in the flesh, he would be walking in them in the person of the Holy Spirit. That is unlimited access to God. Think about it. The presence of Christ in us continually. That's unlimited access to God. I heard uh, an advertisement this morning about um, unlimited data. Unlimited access to the internet, or on your cell phone, the data there. But there's no need to buy an unlimited plan if you never use all of that um, data that you're paying for. It's kind of the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We have unlimited access to God, but the question is, are we using it? The truth is, probably we're using a small fraction of the access that we have to Him through His Spirit. Now, the rest of this passage deals with the continuing ministry of Jesus through His Holy Spirit. The ministry of Jesus didn't stop when He left this world, but it continued through His Holy Spirit. And in these remaining verses, Jesus implies two areas of ministry of His Holy Spirit. One is the ministry to unbelievers, and then ministry to believers. Let's look first at the ministry to unbelievers. That's verses 8 through 11. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. 
about sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can no longer see me. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus said that his Holy Spirit would prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Remember the world when John is speaking about it here is the people of organized society that are hostile to God and his ways. And the Holy Spirit will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, we could go right now out to Walmart. We could set up a booth and we could ask people to define sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the answers given would be as diverse as the people that gave the answers. But would they be right? Not necessarily. But the Holy Spirit would convince, would convict, would expose what the reality is about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because see, there is a right and wrong answer when it comes to what sin is, what righteousness is, and what judgment is. And God gives those answers through His Holy Spirit to anyone who is willing to listen to them. Trouble is, most people aren't willing to listen. But Jesus said here that the Holy Spirit will prove that the world is wrong in what it thinks about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then he gives a little statement about each one of those. So consider sin. Whatever the world's view of sin is, we must come to see that sin at its core is what we do against God. That's what sin is at its core. It's what we do against God. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps an unbeliever to see that reality and repent in order to be forgiven of that sin. Jesus said the world would be proved wrong about sin because people do not believe in me. The word sin is singular. So the ultimate sin of anyone is to reject Jesus as Savior. In fact, it's the only sin that will condemn someone to hell. To reject Jesus Christ as Savior. But it's the Holy Spirit who opens people's eyes to what sin is. And then he speaks about righteousness. And so whatever the world's view of righteousness is, we must come to see that only the righteousness of Christ matters. Only. You know why? Because you and I, we don't have any righteousness. We're not righteous, but He is. So only His righteousness matters. And it's the Holy Spirit who convinces unbelievers of this truth. The fact that Jesus died and that He rose again and ascended to the Father is proof that Jesus is righteous. It's proof. Now think about this. Would God resurrect a blasphemer? That's what the Jews claimed Jesus was, that He was a blasphemer. Would God resurrect a blasphemer? I don't think so. So His resurrection is proof that God accepts the righteousness of Jesus. And then, as we take on His righteousness, God's, God sees Christ's righteousness in us. Now, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the world is proof 
that Jesus did resurrect and, and ascend to heaven. It's proof. Because Jesus said, when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is in this world today, it's proof that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. Then he spoke of judgment. Whatever the world's view of judgment is, we must come to see that we deserve judgment. That Jesus has taken our judgment on himself because God is holy. And because He is holy, He will not tolerate sin. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. Holiness and sin do not mix. And the only way to be in God's presence is to be free from sin. The only way to ever have a hope of being in God's presence is to be free from sin. And man will never do that apart from Jesus Christ as much as we try. We can try to be good. We can try to do away with this sin and that sin. But we will never be good enough to be in the presence of God in our own righteousness because we have none. I was studying this week. I was thinking about this. I, I, I read something about the question that still comes up from time to time that you still hear people ask. If Christianity's God is a God of love, how do you explain the Old Testament scriptures that speak of God calling for the annihilation of entire groups of people? How do you explain that? If God is a God of love, how do you explain His wrath? And you know, that's a legitimate question. How would you answer it? Well, the reason that happened, that, that annihilation of groups of people, was because it was judgment on sin. But the difference now and then is the gospel. The difference is the gospel. God hates sin now as much as He always has. But Jesus took the judgment for sin on Himself. And so all of the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus when He became sin for mankind. Now sinful people can be converted through faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus was annihilated in their place. He was annihilated in your place. He was annihilated in my place. And so that's one way to explain that when somebody asks that. You say the difference is the gospel. That Jesus was annihilated so that mankind would not have to be. They could be converted through faith. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps unbelievers see the truth that Jesus was judged for their sin. So being a Christian means that you admit your sin. It means that you see the perfect righteousness of Christ. But it also means that you accept His death as the judgment for your sin. That's what it means to be a Christian. You see your sin. You admit your sin. And you see the perfect righteousness of Christ and, and you admit that He was judged in your place. And He's given His Holy Spirit so that unbelievers could know and believe. And then that leads to the ministry to believers, which will last the rest of the believer's life. Verses 13 through 15. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. 
He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So even as believers, the Holy Spirit continues to reveal the truth about our sin, the depth of it. He continues to do that. And he continues to reveal the beauty of Jesus' righteousness. That will continue. And, and also the, the grace and mercy of Jesus taking our judgment. He continues to reveal that. And the degree to which you understand those things is the degree to which you will grow as a Christian. You understand the depth of your sin, the beauty of His righteousness and His judgment in your place. But see, that's when grace begins to overwhelm you. And you live your life in response to that grace instead of trying to get that grace. But the life you live is in response to what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you about Jesus. And Jesus said, the Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. Do you hear in that a gentleness? He will guide us into all truth. Do you really want to know what's true in this world? Then listen and follow the Spirit of truth that's in you as a believer. Stop listening to the world. Listen to the Spirit of truth that is in you. Jesus said the Spirit of truth will guide you. And He will if we will let Him. He will guide us. The Spirit will never contradict what Jesus taught or what the Word of God says. Never. So be careful what you say about how God is leading you. If it is contrary to God's Word and what Jesus taught, then that is not the Spirit of God leading you. Somebody told me one time that God was leading them to enter into an adulterous relationship with someone else's spouse and to leave their own spouse. I don't think that's true because that contradicts what God's Word says about adultery and it contradicts what Jesus taught. He, he leads us and guides us as far as what is true. Jesus also said that the Spirit would tell them what was yet to come. That's how the New Testament writers knew how to write about end times. And it's also how we can understand those scriptures. As we come to a close here, speaking about the Holy Spirit, look at verse 14. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So the overarching ministry of God's Spirit and it's broad. He is our teacher. He is our guide. He is our helper, our counselor, our advocate. It's broad. But the overarching ministry is to glorify Jesus Christ. It's to glorify Him. His work is to make Jesus known. So it's useless to expect the Holy Spirit to do anything that does not glorify Jesus Christ. We want a, a fuzzy feeling, a, a warm experience. But if that doesn't glorify Jesus, then it is not of His Holy Spirit. This ministry begins in the life of unbelievers, but it continues for the rest of your life. And the point is that as we see Jesus more clearly, as the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus and helps us to see Him more clearly, then we are better able to be Jesus to the world. 
to be Jesus to the world. The Spirit works through believers to reveal Jesus. Look at verse 7. To whom did Jesus send the Holy Spirit? Well, initially to the disciples, but then ultimately to all believers. And then verse 8, the Spirit would convince the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So Christians are the link between the Spirit's convincing work and unbelievers. Do you realize that? That you are the link. You are the tool that the Holy Spirit wants to use to reach those who have not come to believe. So as Jesus revealed the Father, when He lived in this world, Jesus revealed the Father. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. And He reveals Him through believers like you and me. Isn't that amazing? That He uses us in this process. So are you allowing God's Holy Spirit to minister to you and to minister through you? And the way that you know that He is working in your life. Sometimes people ask, how do I know that the Holy Spirit is working in me? The way you know the Holy Spirit is working in you is that you are reflecting Jesus more and more in your life. You don't want to hide Jesus. You want to make Jesus known. Because that is the overarching ministry of the Holy Spirit. You want to make Jesus known. Therefore, you live for Jesus Christ. So how you live in this world does matter. It does matter. So listen to His Spirit. And follow His Spirit in response to His grace. Let's pray. Father, I pray now even for the influence of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would open eyes, that you would open hearts. But beyond that, I pray that you would enable faith and action. Not just for unbelievers, but for believers as well. To leave this place and live a life that glorifies your Son, Jesus. Lord, let it be for your glory, never ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to know more about the Holy Spirit's role in your life, we would love to assist you with that. You can find our contact information in the show notes down below, or you can find them on the website at fbcamericas.org. And tune in next week as we continue our journey through John's Gospel.